0: It is a privilege to be able to be here with you tonight and uh, on this occasion especially to be able to be here and uh, rejoice at what God has done and uh, be a part of the ordination service. And, and uh, I didn't have any doubt that he would pass on Friday and he did an excellent job. And uh, we're thankful for uh, the privilege of being here tonight. Let me ask you to take your Bibles if you wouldn't go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. I appreciate uh uh, the kind words in the introduction. I, I was a little worried when he stressed a couple times of how much time I spend explaining the word. I was thinking he was preparing us all for a long sermon or something. But I don't know why you'd have that idea at all. So it is uh, it is a good thing and a good opportunity for your church and uh, in the life of, uh, of your pastor for this event. You know. Life in the local church isn't always easy, and it's not always fun, and sometimes uh, the relationship between pastor and people isn't always pleasant. I uh, came across a chain letter a long time ago that said this, Dear cha- dear church member, this chain letter is meant to bring happiness to you. Unlike other chain letters, it does not cost money. Simply send a copy of this letter to six other churches that are tired of their pastors then bundle up your pastor and send him to the church at the bottom of the list. In one week, you will receive sixteen thousand four hundred and thirty-six pastors, and one of them is sure to be fine. Have faith in this letter. One church broke the chain and got their old pastor back. You I mean, uh, know, I hope I hope that's not actually the way that uh, the churches feel about their pastors. But sometimes, uh, because the the, the the connection between the pastor and people is so important. It is, I think, and can be one of the places where uh, the devil seeks to get an advantage over the local church. That if if there is something that that puts that relationship out of joint, it can have devastating effects. And that's not something just true in our day, but appears to have been uh, a potential tension e- even in the opening days of the church, because here's the church of Thessalonica, and Paul writing to them this really sort of a fledgling young church because he had had his ministry there and then had to leave and, and go other places because of the persecution. But God had done a work there so that they already had spiritual leadership in place. And Paul was concerned about uh, the connection between those who were the shepherds and those who were the sheep in the flock. and And so as a part of My desire tonight in preaching an ordination sermon that generally includes both a charge to the ordination candidate and also a charge to the congregation, which is ordaining him, I'd like us to look at a text of Scripture that would have something to say to all parties, really, and all of us tonight about God's will for the local church and the relationship between pastor and people. So if you would please look at First Thessalonians chapter 5. And I'd like to read verses 12 and 13. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 12 and 13. But we request of you, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord and give you instruction, and that you esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Live in peace with one another. Now this text obviously doesn't use the word shepherd, but and we'll see this in a moment, that phrase in there, have charge over you in the Lord, is used in the pastoral epistles in that way. First Timothy chapter 5 and First Timothy chapter 3, and it identifies those who are in the leadership capacity in the local church called in 517, elders in chapter 3, overseers, those who are the qualifications of a pastor. So that's the group to whom... Uh, about whom Paul is talking and he's talking to the congregation and he gives them two commands in verse 12 and verse 13 that really, therefore, the, the the direct target of what he's saying is to the congregation, but indirectly he would be speaking as well to those who are serving in this capacity. That is, their, their response to their spiritual leaders and their relationship with one another also provide a window into seeing what was the chief burden and responsibility of, of those who were the spiritual leaders. So let's just walk through the text and, and seek to understand it by first looking at the first command, which is the longer of the two in verse 12, about their response toward their spiritual leaders. Paul says, we request of you, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you. Some, uh, If you happen to have uh, the King James, it would be that you know those who labor among you. And, and the idea here is, I think, captured well with this phrase of appreciate, that that there is a sense of appreciation, a knowledge that recognizes the value of these people who serve in this capacity. So he wants them to appreciate them and to see that those who are fulfilling this role in the local church are, in fact, a gift from God to to be appreciated, to, to be Uh, treated with the kind of recognition that this is a blessing from the hand of God. And he gives us three reasons why you should appreciate a pastor in verse 12. It is that they are those who diligently labor among you. If I could put that under a label, it would be the cost of their ministry gives you a reason to appreciate them. Paul uses words here uh, that, that reflect the idea of laboring at something to the point of being exhausted or tired. So this this work that these men are engaged in is something that is a diligent labor. They they toil at it in such a way that those who are the benefits of it benef- uh, beneficiaries of it should appreciate it. I mean the the kind of toil I think that Paul would be talking about is is what he describes of his own ministry. For instance, in Second Corinthians eleven, he talks about the physical toil of his ministry that he. He was engaged in service for Christ uh, in a way that was uh, including hardship and tiring sacrifices. So, so Paul was laboring night and day to serve Christ, and so there was that physical toil. But then the next verse, that's 11, 27, 28, and 29, he talks about the emotional and spiritual toil of it. He goes, which one of you is weak spiritually without it being a great concern to us? So it wasn't just a matter that, that Paul was putting in long hours, but that he was also carrying on his shoulders the spiritual burden of the health of the churches. And and I think that's what Paul is saying here about those at Thessalonica, that, that they were engaged in a ministry that that will have a costly effect on a person if they take it seriously. Uh, if if they will give themselves with intensity and deliberation to the the study of god's word to be able to take and open it up but also to carry the burdens of it that that there is uh, there is no one in the church really that will feel the weight of uh, the departures and the struggles that are there and, and the, the needs that are there spiritually to be cared for. And so so the congregation is told to appreciate them for the very labor that they do. And in fact, he goes on and, and details what that is. Look again in verse 12 because he now talks about in fe- the character of this ministry. And, and he uses two descriptions that really are a great summary of what pastoral ministry is. Appreciate those who diligently labor among you, and have charge over you in the Lord and give you instructions. They have charge over you in the Lord and give you instruction. Or if I could, uh, as, as uh, often I think it's been described this way, they as shepherds have responsibility for leading and feeding God's people. This phrase "have charge over" I already mentioned is used in First Timothy chapter five, verse seventeen. Let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor. And in First Thess- Timothy three four, of of a qualification for the pastor, it being they must manage his own house well, because if he doesn't manage his house well, how will he care for the church? So, so that's the language and idea of it. What what uh, we would probably uh, think about it because the word has the idea of to, to stand in first place or to preside over something. Uh, we use the word president in our, in our culture, in our society, as somebody who presides over the executive office. That's what president. They're a president over the affairs of the execution of the government. And this text is saying is that God has placed shepherds in the flock to preside over the work so that it goes forward according to God's will. And we'll see in a moment when it says feed, but the, the whole point is that the, the those who have this responsibility with regard to the spiritual leadership are called on by God to make certain that the church is going in the direction that the Word says to go. It, it is have charge over you in the Lord. So it's not, uh, you know, the old joke is the guy who said he's not a dictator, he's the only tater. I mean, it's not that kind of... Uh, authoritarianism that's at stake, but that if those who have given themselves to the study of God's word become convinced that this is how God says the church is to function, this is what it is to be and do, then then they're given that responsibility to call the church to go in that direction, to to lead in obedience to God. And it's not in, if there's not any contradiction here between what Paul says about these people and what Jesus said about leaders in Matthew 20. Jesus said that the greatest among you will be the servant of all. And, and the point here is that Paul wants them to appreciate these people who are serving them by leading. That is, they're, they're using the gifts and opportunities that they have to, to lead the church in obedience to Jesus Christ. And that's the best kind of service that a pastor can give. It is to, to direct a church in obedience to what God has called it to be and do. So he says, "...they have charge over you in the Lord." And then that last part of verse 12 says, "...and give you instruction." That The second major responsibility is that they are to take the truth of God and instruct God's people in it. to To teach them the Word. To challenge the mind and heart of God's people so that they are giving as an offering to God the glad submission of our hearts to God. I mean, uh, I trust that you will see in in uh, in Pastor Elwart a desire to to simply open up the Word of God and say, "Here's what God has said. We need to submit to it," and not not as if He's on the other side of the Bible, but really what He has done is has spent His time in in the week coming up to Sunday, studying what the Scripture says, submitting himself to the Scriptures, and then simply coming in and saying, look what God's will is. Here's what God says to us. And, and therefore, He gives you instruction from the Scriptures. He challenges your thinking. He challenges your life so that you are being brought into conformity to the image of Jesus Christ as revealed in the Scriptures. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, we all beholding in a glass the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. So so his job, like mine is each week, is to, to bring the Word in and hold it up like a mirror and say, look into the glass. Here's the glory of the Lord. And and then it will change us by the work of the Spirit so that we are transformed. And uh, One of the things that I think sometimes we... Uh, we are uh, we ma- we make a mistake in that all of us uh, probably can struggle with uh, what the scriptures say. Let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Uh, we we can sometimes uh, think that we don't need the accountability of the context of the local church with the authoritative teaching and preaching of God's word. But what God has chosen to do because of the susceptibility of all of us to error and sin is make certain that there is a regular process where we gather together as His people and we come around the Word to hear what God has to say so that God's Word can correct our thinking, can can bring us back to obedience, it, it, it establishes us in in right thinking. It shows us how we ought to live. And and if we're if we're ever uh, allow ourselves to be deceived about our own susceptibility to error, that's when we'll begin to be a little dull of hearing to the preaching and teaching. You know, my my observation over years now of preaching and teaching is. Is that people have no problem when you say what they already believe. The rub comes in when they actually you are trying to show them from the scriptures something that they don't believe. And and at that point is when when the the faithfulness of the preacher is that he can show from the very words of scripture what he believes. And the faithful response of the hearer is to be if that's what God says, then, then I gladly submit to it. Because that's how God protects us. That's how God keeps us uh, from, from wandering off path. That's how God protects the church. Because Paul warned a group of leaders just like this at Ephesus. He said, after his departure, there will be savage wolves that will come in, not sparing the flock. And even from among yourselves, there will rise up teachers speaking perverse things to lead away disciples after themselves. I mean, it is—it is, uh, is, I think, at the very center of the shepherding responsibility to to guard the flock in that way. In fact, John 10 says that if a shepherd won't lay down his life for the sheep, he's a hireling. That is, it's the hireling who will dodge the problem. It's the true shepherd who's following the good shepherd who will, who will stand on God's Word and say, no, this is what the Scriptures teach, and for the sake of, of the health of the flock and the protection of the flock, we need to do what the Scriptures say here. And, and, and you ought to appreciate that. That someone would be willing to stand on the Word and lead to obey it and declare it clearly and consistently is what Paul is saying is appreciate someone like that. Appreciate someone like that. So I say to the congregation that you need to keep your heart tender to the teaching of the Scriptures and to those who would seek to lead you and communicate them to you. And I would say to Jacob that that there's the standard for your ministry. Can you show from the Scriptures why you believe the church should do and be what it is and 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 do you take the time to give God's people the instruction from the Word that that is there and and if you will labor diligently at that, then God will work in the hearts of his people uh, most often to appreciate that. I say most often because there have been some great pastors, say like Jonathan Edwards, who got kicked out of their church so so every now and then, in God's providence. He, he 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 doesn't allow there to be peace dwelling in but but at the end of the day you can lay your head down on your pillow at night and know you have done what god said to do and that's that's what ought to matter because one day we'll all stand before christ and give an account of ourselves so so he says first of all that you should have a, an appreciative recognition of those who labor diligently among you in this exercise of leading and feeding the flock. Then look at the first part of verse 13 because he gives the second command. He says, "...and that you esteem them very highly uh, in love because of their work." And it may seem like he's, he's basically just uh, uh, repeating himself, but I think the shift here now is toward really a, a kind of affectionate regard. That it's not just that you sort of have a, a recognition of them and say, okay, you're the one God's called to lead the church and you have a responsibility to feed the church, but that there's actually an affection here. That's why he says, esteem them very highly in love. Now, one clarification I'd make on that is uh, we, we tend to treat love as primarily an emotion in our culture or sentiment, so I don't think... I don't think the point here is that you should send uh, Pastor Elworth Valentine cards all the time, you know little hearts and you know esteem him very highly in love, and you know I heart you kind of stuff that's not that's not the point of it. It is actually in the scriptures love is an act and choice to benefit the object of the love, and so I think what he'd be saying here is that that you display your love for them you you are to show this person or these people, if the Lord opens up the door for more than one to serve in this capacity, that you are to move toward them in a way that ministers to them. That you display a love for them just as they are leading and feeding the flock, you minister to them in demonstrating your esteem and regard for them. Them. In fact, look at the measurement. He says, "Do it very highly, very highly." It is a—it's really sort of a, a, a powerful way in which Paul says this. I mean, it's a—it's beyond all measure. Almost, you could—you could translate. In fact, one dictionary has it abundantly out of all bounds, and it, it's intended to be an exaggeration for effect. That is, you are to esteem them in love beyond comprehension so he's he's establishing that there is a significant responsibility to have an affection toward them that that seeks to minister to them in, in a way that shows that that deep estimate of them. as I said, we shouldn't get hung up on the feelings in in this regard. I'm not saying that you you shouldn't have positive feelings, but it is not intended to be warm and fuzzies it's intended to be real ministry to care for the needs of those who are serving in this way. And in fact, I, I think we shouldn't underestimate the fact that we can, I think we can affect the way we think about people so that we esteem them very highly in love. You know, uh, the old statement is love is blind. Uh, and and sometimes you can see it's true. In fact, you know, usually what, what ends up happening is like early in the stage of, of two people that fall in love is they Everybody else can see the problems, but but the people who are in love can't because they're blind to them. And a lot of times as a pastor end up having to do counseling with people who now, now you could say bitterness is blind. That is, all they can see are problems now. Before they couldn't see any problems, all they could see was good. Now they cannot see any good, all they can see are problems. And it's because they've, they've made a judgment. They have made a decision to think a certain way about a person. And so they interpret everything that happens, in the first case, positively. In the second case, negatively. And, and what, what Paul is telling us here is that for those of us under spiritual leadership, we can make a, a judgment about somebody which doesn't have to be negative. We don't have to look at somebody and question everything that they say and do. We don't have to assume the worst about people. We can, we, can actually, we can actually respond in such a way that says, you know, this person is doing what God has called him to do, and so I'm going to look at them in light of what God has called them to do. In fact, that's what the text says. Look at, so that you esteem them, very highly in love. And again, the reason. Because of their work. It's not, and, and in this case, I mean, Jacob is such a likable guy. It would be easy to do this. But, but it's not just because he's a likable guy. It's not esteem him very highly in love because he has a nice personality. It is esteem him very highly in love because of the work. He, he has been given by God a responsibility to exercise leadership and to feed the flock, and that is essential to the health of the church, to health of individual believers and so so our response to it should be to have a high regard for what's taking place and and a desire to advance that, to minister to and and to care for it in that way. so. So here's the, the responsibilities that he says. Appreciative rec- recognition and affectionate regard because they labor diligently, having charge over you in the Lord, giving you instruction because of the work. Then look at the end of verse 13 because now it's almost like he turns he turns on a dime and then says, live in peace with one another. So, So the first thing he addresses is their response to their spiritual leaders and the second is their relationship with one another. I mean, what I think he's saying here is that the best thing that they can do for their spiritual leaders is to live in peace with each other. Is to maintain and cultivate an atmosphere in the congregation which is marked by peace. The peace of God has been given to His people and we are to dwell in such a way, Ephesians 4 says, is that we strive to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. That we are, as much as lies within us, to live at peace with all men. That we have an obligation to live our lives under the rule of Christ's peace. Let the peace of Christ dwell among you. I mean, one of the, one of the worst things for the local church is when people break the peace. They they refuse to resolve things in the way that God says to resolve them. They they seek advantage over other people by manipulating circumstances rather than moving toward peace. And one of the things that has the greatest impact on the relationship between the pastor and people is a lack of peace among the people. I'll give you I'll give you a little insight into the kinds of whining that pastors do. Okay, when they get together and they're concerned about what's going on in their churches, a lot of times it's because there's a breakdown of peace in the congregation. Not necessarily, not necessarily toward the pastor, but pastors getting worn out trying to patch up everybody's problems. Trying to make sure everybody gets along okay. Because, because they don't obey what the Scriptures say here about live at peace with one another. Make sure that you are not the breaker of peace in your relationships. In the realm of the local church, which is God's people, we should we should be able to live at peace. That is no conflict with others because we are at peace with God and we want to display that peace in our relationships with other people. So, let me sort of tie it all together and, and, and bring, I hope, the appropriate charge. So, uh, Pastor, work hard at the ministry. I mean, give yourself completely to the tasks of leading and feeding the flock here. If, if you would like as a desire of your heart to have a congregation respond to you like this text says, then walk worthy of it. That is, he tells them to appreciate a certain kind of pastor. One that labors hard leading and in the Lord and giving instruction. So so whatever else anybody may think about you, have them never doubt your commitment to the ministry, commitment to the church being the body of Christ and therefore to be cared for and for the Word to be the voice of God to direct the church. And so you are a man of the Word and you are committed to the church because the church is the bride of Christ, and it is more important than us. So we serve it. And, and make it your ambition to live like that. And to the congregation, I would, I would say recognize the gift that God has given you in bringing this man and his family here to devote themselves to the work. I uh, have had the privilege now for years of watching Jacob pursue this call. That is his desire to to pastor and proclaim God's Word, and he has taken every step along the way in faithful obedience to come to this point. He has manifested a track record of being committed to following the Lord and serving Christ in the local assembly and giving himself to the study and proclamation of the Word and so count that a great gift from the lord because there are lots of churches that do not have the the opportunity to be fed regularly from god's word there are lots of churches which which do not have uh, and when i say that across the globe there there are clusters congregation of god's people that don't have this gift from the lord like you have and so so praise God and respond to God's Word in a way that would say we will, we will do what God has said here. We will appreciate and esteem this gift that we have from God so that together, by God's grace, you will fulfill His purpose for this place in this community for His glory. Let me ask you together if you'd bow with me in prayer, please. Father, how thankful we are for Your Word and the instruction that it gives us which brings light and life to us. And we're thankful for the church. What a blessing it is to be a part of the the assembly of those who know Jesus Christ and to have the opportunity to encourage one another and to be instructed in Your Word and to use our gifts to advance Your purposes. And thank You for this local assembly and how you have been faithful to it through the years and have used it to carry out your purposes. And we pray, Father, that uh, even even better days are still ahead, that there is a great opportunity all around this assembly to be a light in the darkness and to uh, spread the gospel of Jesus Christ and to build up believers in their holy faith And so, Lord, we pray for Your work, that You would do a great thing here. We thank You for the the work that You've done to bring together here in this relationship, this man and this congregation. We thank You for how You have directed, and we pray for Your blessing on it, that that the, the evident hand of the Lord would be seen. Lord, we want to give You thanks And ask your blessing in Jesus' name. Amen.